Welcome to the Nightmare Emporium. Here we take a deep dive into some grisly tales that are bound to make you lose your head. Now, let's check in with our host, the macabre Marvel herself, to see what she has in store for us this week. I thought my sister was home, but I was gravely mistaken. I live with my younger sister, Rebecca, and it's just the two of us in our old childhood home. She often comes and goes without a word, so I don't always know when she's there. It's typical for us to communicate via text when asking about food needs, current locations, etc, etc. One evening, I was home alone in the house, which was usual for the last few days. I passed my sister's room and noticed the light on under her door, not wanting to disturb her by knocking, just in case she was working her remote job. I went into my room to text her, but before I even had a chance to unlock my phone, I heard a loud bang against our shared wall and then a hard thump on the floor. I ran over and tried opening her door, but found it to be locked. I knocked hard on the door while still rattling the knob and asking if she was alright. Hearing nothing in response, I put my ear to the door to hear if she was calling out. Maybe she was injured. All at once, the door banged and shook as if someone had attempted to break it down with a running start. I screamed and flew back down the hallway, knocking down childhood photos that had been hanging on the wall behind me. In the eerie silence that followed, I waited, unaware I was holding my breath. Then a sound I never expected came from the other side and took me several minutes to figure out what I was hearing. It was laughter. Deep, guttural laughter, which became increasingly louder until it was raspy and maniacal. I made a mad dash back to my room, slammed the door shut, and locked it. I snatched my phone off the nightstand and barricaded myself in my walk-in closet. Not even considering calling emergency services, I called my sister's mobile phone as I had originally intended. Expecting to hear the horrific laughter as soon as the phone picked up, there was no hiding my shock when my dear sister answered on the second ring, sounding chipper as ever. Her demeanor changed when she heard the sheer terror in my voice. She attempted to call me, but I went into hysterics as soon as I heard her say she was on a road trip with her boyfriend and had been gone for the last ten days. The last thing I heard before passing out was my sister screaming to her boyfriend to contact our local police department. The police came and broke down our front door. They started with my sister's room, breaking her door down as well. They found the place completely destroyed. Large furniture had been thrown around the room, creating gaping holes in the walls. The windows, mirrors, had been shattered into tiny pieces. Her mattress and our family photos had been completely shredded, and the police investigation later concluded that the slashes had been made by some kind of animal. When they finally made it into my room and through my barricaded closet, they said I was pale, sweaty, and my breathing was shallow at best. As the gurney pulled me through the hallway, I turned my head to see the results of what I'd heard on the other side of the single door. The chaos inside was not surprising, but gutted me nonetheless. It took several weeks for me to truly process the events of that terrifying day. I'd been rushed to the hospital where I was ordered fluids and a sedative due to the increased heart rate I was experiencing. I woke up 
to my sister, Rebecca, sitting at the bedside of my hospital room. She'd booked a flight home as soon as she'd finished alerting the police. It took detectives less than 48 hours to investigate the crime scene. They claimed an animal had broken in through the window, which was their reason for the claw marks and the fact that the place was demolished, but nothing was stolen. I asked them what kind of animal was capable of jumping onto a second story window and hopping right back out unscathed. One of the detectives claimed that mountain lions had been known to leap heights of up to 40 feet. When I brought up the laughter that I heard, it was only moments before the banging and crashing began. The other detective said many animals have been known to sound like humans, and cited foxes as an example. Well, which one is it then? I demanded. Or maybe it was a mountain lion and fox tag team. Has that been known to happen? I was practically screeching at this point, to my own chagrin. Having made no efforts to hide their annoyance, both officers went into a long, condescending rant about the nature of investigations and that they were better equipped at making informed deductions. Sensing the rage forming in both my sister and myself, I diffused the situation by asking for their cards and politely walking them to the door. Just as I had finished thanking them for their efforts, I slammed the door in their faces before they were even able to utter a response. My sister and I sat at the kitchen table for many hours that evening, as we had every single light in the house on. We still hadn't gone into that room yet, neither of us having the energy to face the mayhem that lay inside. We both slept in my room that night and every night for the following six weeks. During the time, we gradually cleaned the room as it had been truly demolished. Everything Rebecca owned was completely destroyed. The creature even went so far as ripping the closet door clean off and obliterating every article of clothing down to the last sock. Needless to say, Rebecca was none too pleased to find out she only had the clothes she'd taken with her on the backpacking trip she'd been on at the time. But she never complained. I could sense we were both feeling the same thing. Better it had been her things than her life. Little by little, the room was fixed up until it was completely barren of anything but spackled holes and scratches. Together we painted the walls lilac and attached security bars to the room's only window. One night, when we were both pretty tipsy, we devised a plan to build a fort in the room and stay up all night long to see if it was really haunted like we were starting to think. With the liquid courage burning in our chests, we set up camp and listened to music until drifting off to sleep. The next morning, we both woke up with an abundance of energy, despite the previous night's drinking. It was as if we had broken the spell the room had held on us by facing our fears. That day, my sister ordered all new furniture and was back in her old room within a week. I went back to work and she went back to school because of the timing of the whole ordeal had occurred just at the beginning of her summer break and ceremoniously ended at the beginning of her fall semester. And after that, life returned to normal. We both went back to our old busy lives and this time we communicated more often and made a point not to go days without seeing each other. We got through the holidays together which had become rather tough as we'd always been a small family, but the loss of our parents had cut us in half. It was New Year's Eve when my sister started gushing about a study abroad program she'd been interested in since her first year of college. I could tell she wasn't giving me her excitement full force, most likely because she wanted to be prepared for any apprehension I might have, and she didn't want me to feel guilty. Fortunately, I had an incredible poker face, and easily hid the despair I initially felt after hearing her news. I convinced her that I would be perfectly fine on my own, and that I was just as excited she would be taking advantage of such an incredible program. 
She went on to suggest that I shouldn't live in the house alone in her absence. Before I could protest, she continued on to say she had a friend from school who was looking for off-campus housing just for the rest of the year. I gave her a suspicious look. She laughed and reassured me she wasn't suggesting it as a charity case, for her friend or for me. She went on to explain that the woman was also a junior and had been living on campus with the same roommate since her freshman year, up until this last semester. Her new roommate had proven to be very untidy and frequently brought random lovers back to their shared dorm at all hours of the night. Needless to say, this had been more than unpleasant for Rebecca's friend Aaron. Therefore, she decided to find off-campus housing that was a little more low-key. I hated to admit that I almost couldn't stand the thought of being alone in that house, but I also couldn't prevent Rebecca from following her dreams. It looked as if Aaron and I would be a good match given our respective circumstances, so eventually I agreed to meet with her. Upon seeing her, I was immediately reminded of someone right out of the 50s, except instead of a poodle skirt, she wore black capris with her saddleback shoes. Erin sported a crisp, white button collared up shirt, and her dirty blonde hair was pulled back into a sleek ponytail, giving you full view of her petite facial features and large round eyes. The three of us sat at the dining room table drinking coffee and eating biscuits as we got to know each other better. I learned that she was vegan and chose an out-of-state school to get away from her controlling parents, but was still pursuing an education in medicine to please them enough to keep paying her bills. By the time Erin had left our house, I was starting to feel gradually more relaxed with the idea of having a roommate while my sister was gone, especially someone as good a fit like Erin. Before I even knew what I was doing, I sent Erin a text message stating it would be great to have her move in. To which she responded in exclamation and agreed. Within a week, she and I had completed and notarized a lease agreement. And the day after Rebecca left for her study abroad trip to Mexico, Erin was completely moved into her old room. Our living experience became very natural and surprisingly pleasant. Erin spent the majority of her time either at school or in her room studying. About once a week, she would come into the kitchen and create a new vegan dish always offering me some to try. Although I was usually quite a carnivore, I gladly tried her dishes and almost always found them to be quite tasty. The living arrangement turned out to be just the solution to quell my superstitious fears and allow Rebecca the freedom to venture out into the world as she pleased. However, towards the end of March, I noticed that I hadn't seen much of Erin over the past two weeks and found myself missing her fresh and delicious recipes. I was pretty sure she was home, so I knocked on her door to see if she wanted to order some vegan takeout, as this was the extent of my knowledge in that area. After knocking, I paused a minute, waiting to hear any movement from the room, but I never heard a sound and Aaron never came to the door. I shrugged and went to the kitchen to pour a bowl of cereal, suddenly feeling too lazy to think up dinner for one. Walking back with my bowl of cornflakes, I noticed a light on under the door in Aaron's room. Immediately I started to panic, the same sense of dread from last year came over me, and adrenaline began coursing through my body. Trying to focus on my breathing, I tentatively knocked on the door and huskily called out Aaron's name. Something moved quickly from one side to the other as I saw light shifting under the door. Then I heard her whispering, and all I could think of was what happened last time I put my ear up to the door. Before I could form another thought, the door whipped open and Aaron was standing in the doorway, holding her laptop and wearing headphones. What's up? she mouthed, a little exasperatedly. 
and made a motion with her eyes to the computer cradle in one arm. I put a single hand up in defense and mouthed the words, I'm so sorry, as I slowly backed away. She gave me a look that seemed almost frantic, but then gave me a quick smile and quietly shut the door. I went to my room with my now soggy cereal and dumped it in the toilet. Feeling like a neurotic idiot, I took a sleeping pill and wrapped myself in about four blankets until I finally fell asleep. A couple days later, I'm in the kitchen cooking up some ground beef to make spaghetti for dinner. Whenever I made this dish, I would usually set aside a portion of noodles and sauce for Erin before I added in the meat. But because I hadn't seen her in a few days, I figured I would mix it all in this time and have enough for the week. As the beef started to brown in the sizzling pan, I heard Rebecca's door open just down the hall. A little thrown off by the fact that she'd been home all this time and for who knows how long, I called out that she was just in time for the only vegan recipe I knew how to make, which was something we frequently joked about. She didn't even acknowledge my statement, and I looked up to see she was now standing six feet away, staring directly at the skillet of greasy meat. She looked horrible, and that was truly being kind. Her eyes looked extremely bloodshot and were cradled by deep, dark bags. Her skin was a sickly pale, like she hadn't been outside in months, and her lips looked painfully chapped. For some reason, my first instinct was to get her some water, so I turned my back and retrieved a glass from the cupboard. When I turned around, Erin was hastily dumping the partially cooked meat into a mixing bowl I'd left on the counter. Shocked, I just stood there as she retreated back to her room with the bowl of beef in tow, never once taking her eyes off me until the door closed behind her. Completely stunned by the fact that she'd just taken the main ingredient of my meal, I became increasingly disturbed thinking about the fact that such a devout vegan had chosen medium-rare ground beef for their dinner choice. Chalking it up to the pressure of school, I decided to send Rebecca an email to distract me and hopefully find out if she'd heard anything new from Erin. It was very difficult to contact Rebecca through text message or phone call while she was traversing Mexico. The program she had selected involved staying in rural areas that had limited service connection, which had been exactly the sort of experience my sister wanted. So for the time being, I got used to communicating about every three days via email. Feeling a bit better about the situation once I'd put it all in a message to Rebecca, I took a sleeping pill and went to bed. The next day, when I came home from work, I noticed a delivery had been made and was still sitting in our door, even though I knew Aaron had definitely been home all day. It appeared to be a packaged icebox sent by a local butcher that had been rumored to sell exotic meats on the black market. I tried to lift the box, but there was no way I was getting that thing over the doorstep and up the staircase to the main floor. I checked the addressee information and was surprised to see it was addressed to Aaron. The word OVERNIGHT had been stamped in bright red capital letters. Once inside, I cautiously walked up the stairs and approached Aaron's closed door. Lightly, I tapped on the door with my knuckles, but hardly waited five seconds before walking away to the comfort of my own bedroom. I'd only taken a couple of steps when I heard the sound of a doorknob rattle and her door open. I froze in place as a wave of warm, stagnant air wafted into the hallway from the bedroom behind me. Unable to move forward, I slowly turned around. My body seemed to be working independently from my mind. In the doorway stood Erin, and what a sight she was to behold. Her hair appeared wet as if she'd just gone swimming and hung limply around her face. 
The shirt she was wearing was wrinkled and had stains all down the front. I hadn't been able to see her entire face due to all the hair covering it, but what I could see was utterly haunting. The bloodshot eyes from yesterday had gotten redder, but were now bulging out and unblinking. Her jaw was clenched and her lips seemed to be moving in and out of a tight grimace. We stared at each other for what seemed like an eternity. Then, by some miracle, my nervous system kicked in and I mumbled something about her package before going back down the hallway to the front door. Aaron never clearly said anything to me when I was headed for the stairs, but I swear I heard a strained yell once I made it to the bottom of the steps and out the front door. I called my boss, who I'd known for over a decade, and made up a story about getting into a fight with my roommate. My boss graciously offered her spare room until we worked things out, which I eagerly accepted and made plans to stay there for several days. On the fifth day away from home, I received a text message from Aaron. It was incredibly short and equally vague. Unwell, period. Going home, period. Veil, period. Although cryptic, I figured she just wasn't feeling well and would be returning home to be cared for by her parents. Relieved that I would be able to return home without the risk of another strange encounter, I replied wishing her safe travels and got ready to return back to the house. By this time, I had already spoken with Rebecca. I left her several messages that night I left to stay with my boss and her family. Rebecca felt sure this was all a result of the stress Aaron was under as a medical student, and wasn't by any means. Rebecca felt sure that all of this was a result of the stress Aaron was under as a medical student, as it wasn't by any means an easy subject to study. Rebecca comforted me by saying she would reach out to Aaron and make sure everything was okay. Before going home, I sent off a quick message to Rebecca, saying that the Aaron issue had been resolved for the time being, and that I didn't want her to worry about it any further. Coming back to the house after so many days away gave me mixed feelings. It seemed bittersweet to be back in the place I'd lived my whole life, and up till a year ago, I had always considered it to be safe and secure. I entered my childhood home and immediately noticed a weird smell. Going to the kitchen to investigate, I discovered all the produce Aaron had bought weeks ago now rotting on the counter. I threw the food in the trash and took the putrid bag outside to the garbage cans. Once finished, I went to my room, took a sleeping pill, and laid across the bed. I didn't even bother getting under the covers before I drifted off to sleep. That morning I woke up and realized I'd slept a little over 10 hours straight. Although I initially felt a little drowsy, I became energized once I inhaled two strong cups of coffee. Crinkling my nose, I noticed there was still a lingering odor in the air from the garbage I'd thrown out. Feeling motivated, I began to clean the whole house from top to bottom. By the time I'd finished, it was well into the night. Heading to bed, I walked past Aaron's room and noticed the same smell from earlier. I got down on all fours and sniffed around the bottom of her door until I gagged. The festering smell was emulating out from inside the bedroom, and inhaling such a strong whiff nearly sent me into a cold sweat. I sat back on my haunches and fanned my face. Disgust turned to anger when I realized Aaron went out of town and had clearly not thought to tidy her room of any perishables before she left. I pulled my phone from my back pocket and began to compose a rage text about respect and common courtesy. Satisfied, I pressed send and got to my feet. But just after I sent it, I heard a muffled but familiar ping from the other side of the door. The cold sweat from moments before returned, and I felt my heart beating faster in my chest. Maybe she was planning to leave later tonight, or maybe she'd forgotten something and come back for it. 
All the possibilities swam around in my mind until I gathered the courage to hit the call button on her contact number. The phone rang on my end, and at first I didn't hear anything on the other side of the door. I hung up and tried again, muffling my phone so I could better listen for any other sounds. Then I heard it, a rough vibrating noise and the sound of a muffled ringtone for an incoming call. My hands began to shake as I reached for the doorknob, wishing more than anything that the room was locked, thus ending any further intervention on my part. To my dismay, the door was unlocked and glided open easily. That smell hit me again, but this time it was so strong it brought tears to my eyes. I called out for Aaron before taking a few steps into the room. Looking at the space, I was astonished to see the state of my younger sister's old bedroom. The window had been covered with newspaper, and there was writing all over the lilac walls Rebecca and I had painted together. All of the writing was illegible in the dark, but the demonic drawings were a bit easier to see. I looked around and noticed the floor was covered in the same substance used to write on the walls. My phone lit up and I saw Rebecca had sent me a message, demanding I call her right away. I exited her message and pressed the call button again on Aaron's contact. Once the buzzing started, I knew immediately she was in the closet. Not wanting to spend another second in the room, I briskly walked over to the closet door and opened it to face the waking nightmare I found myself in. At first, I could only make out piles of dirty clothes and shoes in the shadowy closet, but it didn't take long for my eyes to adjust and see the slivers of white poking out of the darkness. I dug through articles of clothing until I could see her face more clearly in the dim light. Her eyelids were frozen wide open and her mouth was agape, as if in mid-scream. To my horror, I realized her cell phone had been lodged down her throat, so only a portion of the device was visible from between her broken teeth. I hardly had time to register the phone ringing in my hand before I began to scream uncontrollably. And just before I collapsed on the floor of the sticky room, I heard Rebecca's muffled cries from the other end of the line. Waking up, I was relieved to find the familiar sight of Rebecca at my bedside in the hospital room, just like before. Wondering if I had simply dreamt up the last nine months, I looked towards Rebecca for an explanation. We gotta stop meeting like this, sis, she tells me with a smile. She starts by saying she had figured out something was deeply wrong with Aaron. Rebecca said that after texting her to check in, she received a reply that was pretty out of character for Aaron, even under a lot of stress. Vale atriurnum was all the message said. Sounding familiar, Rebecca searched the words online and lost her mind when she realized that it was an old Latin phrase, which translated into English as farewell forever. Rebecca immediately alerted the police once the phone disconnected after I had answered screaming like a banshee and collapsed. The police came to our residence and found Aaron and I in the bedroom, both of us silent and still. I'd been found sprawled out on the floor unconscious, while Aaron's fate had not been so lucky. An autopsy report confirmed the cause of death was asphyxiation from the phone that had completely blocked her airway. The toxicology report determined she had no traces of drugs or alcohol in her system. I was questioned by the same detectives from our last case and could sense they believed I was somehow involved. However, this theory never came to light as I had a rock-solid alibi for Aaron's time of death. The coroner had reported her death to have occurred approximately around midnight, five days prior to when I had discovered the body. I'd been at my boss's house at that time, and the entire household could vouch for my whereabouts down to the minute. The police confirmed the incident was considered foul play, 
due to the fact that both the victim's hands had been crushed beyond recognition prior to her suffocation. Beyond weary, I hardly listened as I was filled in on the other details of the case. They concluded their speech by reiterating that the investigation was ongoing. I brought up a single point before they retreated from my hospital room. The text message I received which had prompted my return back to the house. They verified that message I'd gotten was sent with Aaron's phone, from our location, and there was no evidence the device had been tampered with since the murder occurred. But, in the end, even the professionals couldn't explain why I had received a text from Aaron's phone three days after it had been used to kill her. <laughs>